Romans chapter 4, give it to me in the message translation. Romans chapter 4. I'm continuing on the teachings that we started a few weeks back on proof producers. This will be the third installment in that teaching. Proof producers. Romans chapter 4. Message translation. Thank you. So, how do we fit what we know of Abraham? Our first father in the faith into this new way of looking at things. If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we are giving is a God story, not an Abraham story. Man, it couldn't be better put than that. It's a God story, not an Abraham story. In other words, don't get so lost and got caught up with all the exploits you thought Abraham did. It was never about Abraham. And this is the real issue with the... Uh, notion of living under the law or trying to establish myself or my approval or my acceptance with God on the basis of what I do. What does that lead to? It lends to pride. I cannot become boastful in my achievements, in my accomplishments, in the things I've done. I say, you know what? I did this and therefore, God was obligated to do that. So, we are being reminded here, it is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. And my prayer for us this morning, is that we will all enter into whatever God is doing for us. That we will enter into what God has already done for us and that because we enter into what he has done for us, we see the manifestation. That is the, that is the, that is the issue. Abraham entered into what God was doing for him and that was the turning point. This morning, this ninth month is your turning point in Jesus' name. Yeah. You will enter into what God has already done, what he has already accomplished. You will enter what the Spirit of God has already done concerning you and that will be the turning point in your life in the name of Jesus. Yeah. The ninth month, the ninth number is the number of the Spirit. This is the season when the Spirit of God wants to re-circumcise you. He wants to re-label you. He wants to turn things around in your life. Now, reading on. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. And that's why I love the hymn we just sang a minute ago. Oh, that hymn encourages us to just trust Jesus. Just trust him. 
trust him with what he has already prepared for you. Ears have not heard. Eyes have not seen. Neither has it entered into the hearts of men that things that God has prepared for them that love him. And we know we cannot love him except we know that he loves us. So whenever you see the Bible talks about how you love God, immediately reverse it. Reverse it. It's not on you. It's on him. You cannot love him except you first realize, recognize, embrace the fact that he loves you. First John 4, 19. We love God because. Because. You see, because he did not love you, you can never love him. Romans 5, 5. He, God, has shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The day you got born again, he placed that seed, the deposit of his love in you. And that's what gives me and you the uh, ability to reciprocate on his point in his love. Okay. Reading on, Romans chapter 4, message translation, verse 4. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. Is that not correct? <laughs> we don't call wages a gift. If you work for IBM, 40 hour week, and you collect a paycheck at the end of the week, is that a gift? Absolutely not. You worked for it. It's not a gift. It's not a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God by God. Share gift. Oh, my goodness. This, this, this readings are incredible, man. It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Reading on. David confirms this way of thinking. Or rather, I'm sorry. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is a fortunate man. How many fortunate men and women we have in the house this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not going to insist on my right. I'm not going to insist that I have to have something to do with it. I'll tell you guys last week or the other week how I almost messed up a God thing. How I got to the room in Las Vegas. I was insisting I must have a room that has luxury in it, luxury suite, even though God had already changed the equation I was going to bless me with something much larger. That's the problem. When we insist, when we insist, we mess up what God started. Okay? Fortunate. Those whose crimes are cutted off. Whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate. The person against whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Now, this is huge. This is huge for the church. And I shared this in Lagos last Sunday. That was the message last Sunday to those guys in Lagos. The protocol love of God. Yeah, I share with them. The message we are preaching, hear this, church. God's love is not just for the church. 
For God so loved the world, not the church. Of course he loves the church. But what we are saying is, his love is all-inclusive. For God so loved the world. He loved you and I before we ever became the church. So David is saying here, do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we? That it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Now notice that is the past tense. Under the law, you and I initiate things. Under grace, God has already done it. It's already done. Two more verses. Now think. Was that declaration made before or after it was marked by the covenant of right by the covenant right of circumcision? That's right. Because before it was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself, an act of God he had embraced with his whole life. So we are continuing what we started sharing a few weeks back on proof producers. And as I just meditated on this passage that we just read, it's important for us to look at this whole concept to its logical conclusion so that we live with an accurate picture of what God is saying to us. Over and over and over, Paul tells us, we are no longer under the law. You will never please God by, by works, by your performance, and so forth and so on. We get that. But when you read James chapter 2, and I want us to go there now. James chapter 2. If you are not trained and disciplined in rightly dividing the word of truth, you will come away with the conclusion that these apostles are fighting one another. James chapter 2. Amen. Verses 18 through 24. I can read this in the New King James. James chapter 2. Look at what it says. Okay, okay. Let's start from verse 14. James 2 verse 14. What does it profit my brother? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can Faith save him. Whoa. Let's jump to verse 18. Oh, verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, 
and I will show you my faith by my works. Whoa! This is almost a total reversal or contradiction to everything we've studied for the last two, three weeks. Where Paul says, Christ is the end of the law. You and I are not obligated to work under the law, to self-perform, and on and on and on. And here comes James in the same New Testament. And he asked the question, can faith alone save you? <laughs> if care is not taken, you read these two passages, you say, wow, maybe James heard what Paul preached at his church. And went on the pulpit the next Sunday to refute it. As we see that's happening in the body of Christ today. Let's read some more. And let's see if there's a common ground here. James chapter 2. Verse 19 says, You believe that there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that fake faith rather was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not the Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the question here is, is James answering Paul or is Paul answering James? Were they writing to correct each other? Go with me to John chapter 8. The answer to that is no. They were not writing to correct one another. They were actually both writing to respond to what Jesus said. And I've said this in this, uh, in this platform. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1. God who at sundry times has spoken to the fathers through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. I'm telling you, Jesus was, is, and will continue to be the only standard by which we hear the correct, full interpretation of God's revelation. So whenever there's any uh, discrepancy or whenever there's any challenge or any issue from understanding any passage at all, bring the plumb line, which is Jesus, and just say, what Jesus said or saying about this issue. End of story. Clears it all up. So Paul and James were not at one another. They were both responding to what Jesus had already said. Because it's very interesting. When you read both passages. When Paul was establishing the point that we are no longer under the law. That we are not justified by works. What model or example did Paul use? Abraham. Abraham. 
And in James chapter 2, James is also making his point by talking about how your works confirm your faith. What example did he use? Abraham. Both of them used the same model, same example from Abraham, from exact same passage. Are you guys following me? Yes. I know it's holiday weekend and we look a little tired. I can, I can look at your eyes. What, what did you guys do last night? <laughs> Maybe some of you didn't get enough sleep. It means go to bed early. Amen. Even in Lagos, as, as, as wild as the party was, I told my wife at 6 p.m., I'm out of here. It's true. I mean, I, I see whatever you're doing, you need to know what your mission is. You need to know your mission. I thank God for the ceremony. I thank God for the wedding. I mean, I was, we, were, we had a great time. We had great fellowship from 12 o'clock to 6 p.m. Everything, the Bible says, Philippians, let everything be done with what? Moderation. Moderation. Six o'clock, I looked at her. She looked at me. I said, it's time to go. <laughs> Amen. Because at 9 a.m. the following morning, I had to bear up there and start speaking. I cannot tell that congregation, you know, I was at a party last night. <laughs> and therefore, I'm sorry. I, I, you can't do that. Every gift we have, we must become faithful stewards of it. Who was sharing something with me? Ah, okay, let me leave that. Right I can't call the whole thing now, so maybe you'll come back to me some other time. But what I'm saying to you is, listen, understand your mission. And your mission takes precedent over anything you're doing. You have to understand that. If you don't, God cannot commit more to you. He cannot trust you with more responsibility. If you're going to be careless and just be in a nice setting, nice place, you're eating and whining and dancing and all of that stuff, and you totally forgot the mission for which he created you. The wedding is done. It's finished. But I'm still alive. The vision of God is still alive. And you have to fulfill the vision. So remember that. Whatever you're doing, bring it back to that. God will help you in Jesus' name. John chapter 8. So both James and Paul called the memory, to memory rather, the example of Abraham. John chapter 8 verse 37. Because James is saying we need to be engaged with works. And he used the example of Abraham to encourage us to be involved in works. Okay? And Paul used the example of Abraham to say we should not be involved in works. Exact opposite. But both of them were gleaning from what Jesus said. John chapter 8, verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Then they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, hear this. If you were Abraham's children, you would what? Do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. 
So what's Jesus referring to? Jesus said, if truly you Jewish people I'm talking to, if you truly embrace Abraham as your father, then you will do the works of Abraham. You've heard me speak to you. I've taught you. But certainly you are not doing what Abraham did. So what is it that Abraham did? Both of them said it. In Romans chapter 4 and in James chapter 2. Both of them said it. Let's go back to James. Since James is the one that's telling us not to get involved. James chapter 2 again. Hallelujah. We are going to produce the proof that Jesus is alive. We are going to be proof producers in Jesus' name. All right. James chapter 2. Verse 21. This is James speaking. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Verse 23. And this scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. What's James telling us? Is he telling us to abandon faith and allow just works to confirm that we are born again? No. Absolutely not. In fact the point is there is no contradiction between Paul and James. What James is saying simply wow is that being a believer is not just saying what I believe, but that through my lifestyle, through my lifestyle, what I believe will be revealed. He is not advocating that behavior justifies you. He is not advocating that works or living under the law gives you justification or righteousness with God. No. But he is saying, and rightly so, that if indeed you are truly born again, you believe God. That that belief should be seen in the actions you take. Because right believing drives right behaving. So when he said to us that Abraham offered Isaac, James 2.21, Yeah, when, when, when it's, yeah, James 2.21. He put that first. But in James 2.23, he, qu- he quickly balanced it up and let you know that, listen, the believing came before the offering. Genesis 15, where the Bible testified of Abraham's believing, came before Genesis 22, where he offered Isaac on the altar. So the reason Abraham, oh my God, the reason he could obey God in Genesis 22 was because he first believed in Genesis 15. It is the believing of Genesis 15 that empowered and enabled him to do what he did in Genesis 22. So by doing what he did in Genesis 22, he was not trying to get right with God. He was already right with God in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. 
But Genesis 22, the offering of Isaac on the altar was a confirmation of what he already believed. So in that sense, the works confirmed the faith. Did you get it? So when Paul says you and I cannot be approved, accepted, or loved by God based on our performance, it does not mean we don't do nothing, absolutely not. No. The issue is the motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Under the law, you initiate. Under grace, God is the one doing it. You and I enter into what we already see God doing. All over Jesus' ministry, he kept on telling us, what I see my father doing, that's what I do. God initiates it, I get involved. God starts it, I plug into it. And that's the life of a believer in true essence. Because the spirit of God lives in us. We are well aware and acquainted if your ears are trained to what God is doing. And he wants to invite, involve, or invite all of us to be involved in it. That's the only way we are going to produce proof that God is alive. We hear him and we act on what we hear. We hear him and we act on what we hear. We see him and we move on what we say. That's what he wants to see happen. That's what's going to happen. Now, it's interesting to me that James not only quoted Abraham's testimony. When you read that James chapter 2, he dealt with Abraham and what did he do next? Went on Rahab. Let's read it. James chapter 2. Verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Like was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Ah, please go with me to Joshua chapter 2. You need to see this. Joshua chapter 2. Give that to me in the uh, message translation. Joshua chapter 2. You know, over the ages, we've always wondered about Abraham when God told him to offer Isaac up on the altar. We always wonder, how did he do it? Uh, uh, he didn't tell Sarah about it. Did he linger? Did he go in a hurry? Did he go respond promptly? And we just, we, there, there's so many things we just, we just marvel at. When you read Genesis 22 verse 3, Abraham did not tarry. He didn't tarry. He, did, he, he didn't delay at all. And the question this morning is, why would you wait when there's a miracle on the way for you? Why would you wait? When you've entered into God and you see what he wants to do, you know there's a miracle waiting for you on the other end. Why would you delay? Now you can appreciate why Abraham could not delay. He's already believed. Hebrews made it sure that he knew that if he had to kill Isaac, God was able to bring him back from the dead. If you know that, why are you lingering? Why are you delaying? There is no delay. Why? I know my miracle is waiting. The Bible says in Genesis 22, 3, he rose up early in the morning. They could not break early enough. He was sitting on the edge of his bed. Oh my God, what time is it? It's 5 a.m. Oh God, 
I can't wait for six o'clock to get here because I need to get on my way. Why? A miracle was, a miracle was waiting, waiting to happen. Amen. And I'm saying to you right now, your miracle is waiting to happen. Amen. I said your miracle is waiting to happen in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're able to believe him for it and trust him for it, and know that he will never fail. Your maker, your lover, your creator, the Lord God Almighty, your Jehovah, Jesus Christ, your refuge, your high tower, your buckler, your healer, your Jehovah Rapha, your Jehovah Roha, your Jehovah Shen, your Jehovah, my God, he is waiting to work out his glory in and through your life. If you just believe in for it. It doesn't matter what it is. Because when we read these stories, sometimes we, 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 we want to give credence to the man or woman through whom God walked these things out. That's why I like that passage. It's God's story, not Abraham's story. Because these men have never lived through that before. Abraham had never seen a man or a woman who killed his son and he rose from the dead. It's never happened. He was a pioneer. In obeying and believing God. God, I have never seen it happen before, but if you said it, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about it because it's your story, not mine. And that's the same thing God wants to make happen for us. Now hear this. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. Give me verse 9. I know that God has given you the land. This is Rahab speaking. We are all afraid. Everyone in the country feels what? Hopeless. Keep on writing. We heard how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt. And what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan. Sihon and Og, whom you put on a holy cross and destroyed. Next verse. We heard it, and our hearts sank. We all had the wind knocked out of us. And all because of you, you and God, your God, God of the heavens above and God of the earth below. Interesting. Interesting. This was Rahab's testimony to the Israelites. She was telling the Israelite spies of the disposition of all the Canaanites. They all knew that God was a deliverer. They all knew what God done to the Egyptians. They all knew what God did to Simon and Og. They all, the Bible says, as far as Rahab said, that all of their heart was sunk. And not only that, that all of them believed that God is the only God. That's what the Bible said. Question. All of them believed that. All of them knew that. Only Rahab took a step. The whole country knew that God is about to judge them. All of them heard the testimony of what God had done. But only the harlot Rahab responded to what she heard. She was the only one that responded to what she knew. 
What happened as a result of that? She was the one that was saved. Do you hear what James is saying to us? James is challenging us. It's not good to hear and believe alone. Believing alone without corresponding action, a response of faith to what you believe, you'll be a dead man or woman. True. Because later on, Paul came back and said all of that as well. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? You don't engage in works that you create on your own. No. 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 But when God is moving through prayer and reading the word, you discern what God is doing and you key to what God is doing and you respond in faith based on what God is doing, you will never ever be hung dry. But on the other hand, if you know and see what God is doing and you just sit down there passively, Asking somebody else to pray for you. Somebody else to study the word for you. Somebody else to move for you. You just die and we bury you and that will be the end of you. Because faith without works is dead. He's dead. He's dead. That's the point James is making. Rahab had something. She responded in faith. And God honored it. God honored it. James mentioned Abraham. He mentioned Rahab. He mentioned Job. And to close this afternoon, he also mentioned Elijah. I won't talk Job right now. He also mentioned Elijah. Let's go there in James chapter 5. We must become proof producers. It cannot be enough for me and you to know and just not respond to what God is saying. James chapter 5. I'm back to the new King James. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Did you guys just read that? I like what James said. He just did not say Elijah was a man. He said Elijah was a man of like passion. Just like us. And when you read the account of Elijah in the scriptures, you see clearly his weak moments and his strong moments. Jezebel threatened him, the man picked and ran. To show you that he was a man. Just like you and I. But this same man stood before king and said, thus said, no, he actually didn't say that said, he said, I said to you, there will be no rain. The same man who stood before a king was the same man that ran for Jezebel. Man of like passion. Up one moment, down the next. But James is making a point. If Elijah, who is like me and you, that can be up or down, can pray earnestly, and tell rain there will be no rain. And heaven honored it. Can we now give the credit to Elijah? Because we've just been told he was a man like me. He gets upset, he gets mad, he gets angry, he misses it, he sins. And yet God walked through him. How about you? And me. Now, when I read that, 
just even just this morning, I went back and checked that. Let me hear the earnest prayer of Elijah. Since James said he prayed earnestly, let's hear it. Let's find out if this prayer is beyond me and you. Or if we need to go to a seminar to find out how to pray like Elijah prayed. Because if, if James mentioned it the way he said, he said he prayed earnestly. Let's find out what that means. First Kings 17. Give it to me in the message translation. First Kings 17. Message translation. I hope Mr. Message is sending Pastor Shana some uh, royalty. First Kings chapter 17, message translation. We need this thing to be voice activated. <laughs> Thank you very much. Listen to what it says. And then this happened. Now we're about to read this earnest prayer. Okay? Elijah the Tishbite from among the settlers of Gilead confronted Herod. That's the king. You are going to confront the king? As surely as God lives. The God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service. The next years are going to see a total drought. Not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. That was his prayer. That was his prayer. Oh my God. Somebody got it. Somebody got it already. That was his earnest prayer. That was his prayer. This is the prayer that James in the New Testament tells us honest prayer. How many hours does it take to say this? Oh, come on, you guys answer me. It's not how long it takes to say it, but the confidence that's packed in what you're saying. Does this sound like a doubter? I am Elijah the Tishbite. I stand before the presence of God. Proximity. Which means I'm hearing what God is saying. I'm in his presence. When he whispers, I hear it. Therefore, I'm well acquainted with God's desire for this hour. And on the basis of that Ahab, I know you are king, but let me tell you something. There will not be a drought or rain in this land until I, Elijah, say otherwise. And walk right outside of the court. He's delivered his message. He goes right out. He's gone. Hello? Listen, folks. First John 3 makes it clear that if my heart does not condemn me, I have confidence towards God. And when I'm confident, anything I ask for is delivered. Does this man sound like one that's afraid of God? Or Ahab? No. The honesty of his prayer was packed in the confidence he had when he said what he did. Now, this does not say we should not pray for long hours. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that and say, ah, we don't need to pray again. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that even in praying, it is the confidence of what you carry. Not in of yourself, but the confidence in knowing that you are carrying what God carries, 
That's what brings the job down. Three years later, in 1 Kings 18, they say, Elijah, and I want to close there. 1 Kings 18. Verse 1. Just give me verse 1. Let's use that to close. Look at what it says. A long time passed. Then God's word came to Elijah. The drought was now in his third year. The message, go and present yourself to Ahab. I'm about to make it rain on the country. Give me verse 40. Verse 40. Verse 40. Now, first of all, let's, let's go back to that. Don't, don't turn there. Don't change. Let's go back to the idea of that first king something. When Elijah made the declaration, was he praying to God? He wasn't. He has heard what God wants done. He declared it. He just declared what he knows. He's not asking God to make it stop, stop raining. He said, well, that's a useless prayer. He heard what God wants done and he declared it. He declared it in Jesus' name. What are you declaring right now in Jesus' name? Or what are you not declaring in Jesus' name? 1 Kings 18, verse 1. Again, God has spoken to him. In verse 40, Elijah told him, grab, wait a minute, is that the right verse? Yeah, verse 41, verse 41. Verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, up on your feet, eat and drink, celebrate, rain is on the way, I hear it coming. <laughs> oh my God. This, is, this thing is too much, man. This man is talking to a king, says Alola. Up on your feet. A king? A king? You are commanding a king to get up from his throne. On his feet. Eat. Drink. Celebrate. Folks, put your mind in Elijah's shoe. If what he's saying is not true, he died. Don't just read these things and just on the surface. This man is talking to a king. If what he's saying was not backed up by God. He was a dead man. Secondly, he had no guarantee or assurance that God would back it up. But he still said it. He still said it. Because it has never happened before. No one has ever gone to a king and said, stand up, eat, drink, rain is coming. There's no precedence for it. There are things happening in your life for which there are no precedents. It has never happened to anybody else. You will be the pioneer in that thing. It's the same confidence that Elijah had to make this declaration that you have to have in your situation. Up on your feet, eat and drink, celebrate, rain is on the way, I hear it coming. Next verse. Ahab did it, got up, and ate and drank. Why did Ahab obey? <laughs> because three years ago, when the man of God said there will be no rain, it happened. People don't pay us any attention. Number one, because we don't make declarations. Therefore, God has no opportunity to back it up. So there's no proven track record. You have no track. But if he said it and it came so, the next time you speak, they say, oh, please, what? people will be, they'll be, they be dancing. 
What shall I do? Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel, bowed deep in prayer, his face between his knees. This is very, very important. He has already made the declaration before he prayed. He's already put it out there. He's already put out there. He was already on the limb. After that, he went and prayed. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He puts his face between his knees. Next verse. Then he said to his young servant, on your feet now, look toward the sea. He went and looked and reported back, I don't see a thing. Hey, trouble. You've made pronounce, pronouncement. You've challenged the king. Now you are praying. Now you say to the servant, go see. Is it happening? Now, the, the Bible is letting me, and you know, Elijah was like us. He's a man filled with the spirit of God. Therefore, he has tendencies like you and I. He prayed and said to his servant, go and check. Is it raining yet? The guy came back and said, oh no, nothing. Not a thing inside. Hey! Keep on praying. Keep on looking. Now this is where me and you miss it. On that first note, when the servant says it's not raining, you say it's not, it's not true. You stop. You stop. The servant went on the second time, came back, nothing. Did he quit? No. No. Second time, nothing. Did he quit? No. Fourth time, did he quit? No. Elijah said, I know what I heard. I know what I heard. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of when. I'm not going to doubt what I heard. I was in the courts of heaven. I eavesdropped. I heard what God was saying. And finally, keep looking, Elijah said, seven times if necessary. For me and you, if it's 19 times. Don't stop. Because if God said it, he will surely bring it to pass. If God said it, he will surely bring it to pass. The only way we're going to produce proof is that we keep at it and keep at it because God said it. Next verse. And sure enough, the seventh time he said, oh yes, a cloud, but very small. No bigger than someone's hand rising out of the sea. Quickly then, on your way, tell Ahab, saddle up and get down from the mountain before the rain stops you. Just a feast. That was enough. That's why I say to you, Iretuluwa, Abigail Grace, or A-I-G, Abigail Iretuluwa Grace. I'm saying to you, to some of you, it may look like a small thing, but it's just like what God showed Elijah. Is the feast of a man's hand. And I'm saying to you, this is God's sign to you that this is your time. This is your hour. This is your season. This is your moment that you will not be denied. If you only believe, God will perform in your life, in your family, in your business, in your situation, what he has already proposed. Hallelujah! Just believe. Just believe. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter. 
He doesn't matter how hard it sounds or looks or how impossible it looks. It's so real. It's ridiculous. It's so real. If you don't stand in there and believe God, we won't write about it. I am so convinced. It's incredible. Of what God wants to bring to pass in our lives. You see? So we need to enter into his rest and do what he prompts us. You see, under the law, we work alone, but under grace, we co-labor with him. It's the one that's doing the work, but it's working it through us. So James essentially is saying that a believer isn't a person who merely believes God in his heart, but a person who reveals God through his actions. Through his actions. The difference between you and and the unbeliever that's your next door neighbor is not just a set of beliefs. It is the life of Christ revealed through you. You not only think differently, you act differently, and what you do flows from what you believe. Now, let me give you Paul, and we're going to close it. Ephesians chapter 2. So you can see that there's no inconsistency in these concepts. Paul is saying your work does not save you. You can't, because of what you've done, obligate God to do this or that. James is saying, because of what God has already done, we respond in faith and we have good works. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good works. So we see works now. We are created for good works, but only in Christ Jesus. You are not created to do good works, to please, to, to, to win him, but because you have already a part of him, the good works comes as a natural response from you. One last scripture, I promise. And then we're going to go. First John. First John chapter 3. Ah, verse 21 1 John 3 21 beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight now look at what's this commandment verse 23 and this is his commandment what is it that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ do you see that and love one another as he gave us commandment do you see that the only work God wants from me and you is to believe and in believing love one another that's it that's it now there's a little more to this message but we need to find a good place to stop so if you and I believe, Mark 16, 15, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, we shall cast out demons. Why are we not casting them out? If we believe it, then do it. You shall lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. Do you believe it? 
Bring the proof. Lay hands on the sick. And expect for them to recover. We have to become proof producers. Jesus is not going to heal the sick. Hello? Let me qualify that. He's going to use you to do it. The prayers of faith shall heal the sick. Not Jesus. Jesus is not. He's done it already. We've been healed by his stripes. It's already done. So it's empowered you and I to become his agents to enforce it. So if you believe it, get out there and do it. Say, Pastor, how? You go to work, somebody on your job is sick, they have sinus problem, they have allergy, they have full flu, whatever the condition. God has already told you. If you believe, these signs shall follow. Take the bold step. Get out of your comfort zone. Sister, brother, I believe Jesus has healed you. Can I just touch on agree and pray for you? Watch what happens. The more sick you prayed for, the more healings you will see. If you don't pray for any sick, you won't see zero. Nothing. Someone said, well, what do you mean? Suppose it doesn't happen. Well, suppose it happens. And if it doesn't, you are not doing it on your own authority. You are doing it on his authority. It's on him, not you. You are a messenger. We need to turn these things around, my friends. We need to become true proof producers. Do you think Jesus wants us to do this? Yes. You guys really believe that this is what God wants? Yes. He has saved the lost. He has already forgiven all of them. But they don't know it. They don't know it. Who will tell them? Who will bear the good news to let the world know that Jesus truly loves and cares for them and has forgiven their sins? Who? Who? He won't send angels anymore. You are his angels. And he wants to use your mouth to declare how much he loves your world. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. We bless you, Lord God, that we are proof producers. We are going to carry your name and your praise and your glory to the gates of our world. Thank you for touching our bodies. Every sick in this room.